Today, as we come towards Christmas, it's the time of the year that traditionally the church uh, remembers the coming of the Lord Jesus into the earth, uh, what we call the incarnation. That's the big theological term that has been uh, derived to explain this, the incarnation. And yet so often as we celebrate Christmas, uh, we don't fully understand why we're doing it, what we're doing it for, and who we are really celebrating in Christmas. I think even as Christians sometimes, the real significance of what we are celebrating at this time of the year is lost in all the trappings of Christmas. And so today, what I want to do is I want to just look at some, a passage of Scripture from John chapter 1, where the Apostle John gives us this incredible insight into what actually took place when the Lord Jesus Christ was incarnate, where He became flesh. And so I want to read from John chapter 1. We're going to read from verses 1 to verse 16. And I think that it'll just, it'll remind us, it'll focus us, and maybe we'll gain some new insight that the Lord would open our hearts a little bit more to understanding exactly what has taken place and just how significant it is. So John chapter 1, verses 1 to 16, if we can just go there and let me read for you. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own. And those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. Let's just have an in-depth look at this passage here today, and let's see what we can learn from it. Let's just have a look, first of all, at verses 1 to 4. It says there, in the beginning was the word. The Greek word that has been translated word is the word logos. I think it's a word we're all familiar with. So it says, in the beginning was the word, the logos. And the word, the logos, was with God. And the logos was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So let's ask first of all, why does John use this phrase, the word or the logos? He refers here in this, just these few verses, he refers a number of times to this, this thing, logos. He uses this phrase. We can see that John is referring to a person here because in verse 2, he changes and calls the logos he. And in verses 4 and 5, he refers to him as him. And so when he uses this phrase, the word, we can see that he's talking here about a person. Who is this person? Well, we can see from this passage that he's talking about the Lord Jesus. He's talking about Jesus of Nazareth, the Jesus that we read about in the Gospels and in Scripture. And so we ask this question, why doesn't John just say, in the beginning was Jesus? He was, the, Jesus was with God in the beginning. Why doesn't he just use his name? Why does he bring in this title, the Logos or the Word? It's because in giving Jesus this title, he is actually telling us something about him. He's drawing from Greek philosophy and culture in which the term logos was commonly used to refer to the abstract principle of creation or the non-personal force that was responsible for everything. We could say this, they would use this phrase, this term, this word logos or the logos to talk about the wisdom behind creation and to, to basically point to the reason why everything exists. So just think about this. That in the culture was the way that they used this word in the Greek culture. So very similar in the way today as you'll, you'll hear people say mother nature. You know, you watch documentaries and you'll hear them say mother nature's done this and mother nature's done this and isn't mother nature wonderful and... You know, you can see them actually worshipping and praising Mother Nature. But to them, Mother Nature is this non-personal force behind creation. It's sort of this reason why things exist. That's exactly how the Greek culture used this term, the Logos. And so, John uses this phrase, the Logos, which is translated the Word. He uses it to portray and explain who Jesus Christ is. And so in a way, what he's saying is he would be, to, to people today, he would be saying something like this. Mother Nature was with God in the beginning. What you call Mother Nature was with God in the beginning. And what you call Mother Nature was God. And was in fact responsible for everything you see, but it's a sp very specific person. And so he takes this phrase, he takes this term, and he brings it together with Jesus, our Lord, to show the people that he is actually the reason for creation, that he is the one responsible for everything that we see, that he is the force and the wisdom behind it all. To the Jews, when the Jews would read what he wrote here, they would see the Logos and they would think of the Scriptures. They would think of everything that God had said and how through the Scriptures and through His Word, He had revealed Himself to the nation of Israel. And so, on the other side, John, in using this phrase, the Logos, the Word, is also portraying to the Jews 
that Jesus is the revelation of God to man. That's how they would have seen it. And so we see just by using this one phrase, John is bringing out this incredible depth of understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Let's look at five things that we learn just from these four verses about Jesus. The first one, and this can go up, I think it's up there, he pre-existed creation. That's the first one. The second one, he coexisted with God. The third one, he was God. The fourth, he created everything. And lastly, he is self-existent. So let me just unpack these five things a little bit for you today. Because these five truths are fundamental to the Christian faith. Anyone who does not believe these five truths is not a Christian. They're something else. We have to believe these five truths that I've just laid out that are up on the screen there. So let's have a look at them and just see what they mean and how we can, we can derive this understanding from this passage. Firstly, he pre-existed creation. John says, in the beginning was the word. So when he refers to in the beginning, he's taking us right back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's taking us right back using the very phrase out of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. And he says, before there was anything, before God created the heavens, before he created the earth, the word was, he existed. The word was. He doesn't say the word came into being. He doesn't say God created him. He doesn't say God gave birth to him. He says he was. And the very tense of that word, which John used, speaks to the eternality of the word of God, the Logos, Jesus Christ. In other words, what it's saying is he was with God in the beginning before there was anything. And he has always been. There was never a point where he was created. And we'll see this a little bit more as we continue on here. Secondly, he coexisted with God. What does John say? He says the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. Twice in these verses, he says he was with God. And so he puts great emphasis on this. He wants us to see that though the word was, as we'll see, though he was God, he was also with God. So we see when he talks about the word being with God, do you know what he's talking about here? He's talking about a face-to-face -face relationship with God. So we could say that Jesus, before creation, had a face-to-face -face relationship with God. It speaks of him being equal to God. It speaks of him being God's peer. Okay? So these are fundamental truths that we're talking about today. So let's get the picture. Before there was anything, God existed. And Jesus, the Word, the Logos, existed with him. Just as God is eternal, so Jesus is eternal. Let's carry on to the third point. He was God. What a statement. He was God. He says here, and the Word was God. John does not say he was like God. He says he was God. 
He was God, and yet He was with God. And so we see God being with God. We see two distinct beings here, God and the Word, and yet we see that they are one in essence, one in nature. In fact, we could say one in every respect. We're not talking about two gods. We're talking about them being exactly the same and yet them being two persons. One God, two persons. So we see this, that Jesus is God and yet he's distinct from God. So when John says he was with God, who's he talking about there? He's talking about the Father. So we have the Logos, who is God, pre-existing with God, the Father. Two separate persons, yet one God, exactly the same. Let's carry on. It says, John shows us here, he is the creator of everything. Look at what he says. All things came into being through him. I wonder if we really grasp this. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. John says it two ways here. First of all, he says all things have come into being through him. And then he says there is nothing that has come into being. Nothing that has been created that was created without him. And so when we look at creation, we look at every tree, every bird, every fish, every flower, every animal, every human being. When we look at the mountains, the stars, the moon, the sun... When we see creation, do you realize that we are looking at the handiwork of Jesus? Through Him, everything that has been created has come into being. Look at what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. He sa- we read there, all things were created in Him. Those in the heavens, those on the earth, those that are visible, those invisible, whether thrones whether lordships, whether principalities, whether authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is the reason everything exists. That's what John is trying to show us. There is nothing that exists that exists apart from him, and everything that exists was created for him. He is the heir of it all. It was all created for him. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 to 10 Creation is attributed to Jesus as his handiwork. Let's just read this. It says, but of the Son, God says, he says, your throne, O God. Do you see there? He's talking to the Son, but he's calling him God. Of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God. So now we see one who's called God, and yet he also refers to another who is his God. Okay, do you see this? Has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Verse 10. And you, Lord, talking to the Son, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Do you see who Jesus is? Do you see who Jesus of Nazareth is? The man that walked the shores of Galilee? Do you see who he actually is? 
if he created everything, if there is nothing that exists apart from him, and if everything is his handiwork, then that tells us that it's impossible for him to have been created himself. He is not created. And you know that there are various religious groups that teach that. Jehovah's Witnesses are one. Mormons teach that. They teach that Jesus is a created being. That he was created by God at some point. But if we take what John wrote here, he rules that absolutely out. Jesus was not created. He is eternal. And as we'll see in the next, th the next point, he is self-existent. Not only did he create everything, but he is self-existent. Look at what it says. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life. That tells us that he doesn't need anything outside of himself to exist. In him was life. It actually tells us that life comes from him. He doesn't need to be given life because he himself is the life giver. He is not dependent or reliant on any source for life. He is self-existent. John, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 2 says this. This is the same man that wrote John 1. This is now his letter. And listen how he puts it here in his letter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word, the logos of life, the life, John calls him the life, the life was made manifest and we've seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life. That's who Jesus is. You see, Jesus is not just the giver of eternal life. Jesus is the eternal life. And he says, which was with the Father has been made manifest to us. Isn't that incredible to think about? Peter, when he was preaching in Jerusalem after the Lord's ascension, in Acts chapter 3 verse 15, this is what he proclaimed to the Jews in Jerusalem. He said, you killed the author of life. Whom God raised from the dead. And to this we are witnesses. Do you see how Peter speaks of him? He says you killed the author of life. The one who, from whom life originated. The author of it all. The beginner of it all. Isn't that incredible? Let's go on and look at verse 14. Because this is what we are celebrating at this time of the year. John writes there. And the word, the logos, the one that he's just been telling us about, became flesh. Can we even grasp this? He became flesh. The one who was from the beginning. The one who gives life to everything. The one who created all things. The one who is self-existent. Above all. Without peer. And equal became flesh. That means he became fully human. Not partially human. Jesus is not part God and part man. He is truly God and truly man. He is holy God and holy man at the same time. This is such an incredible mystery. 
You know, God is so much greater than we are, isn't he? That's why sometimes our brains spin when we try to contemplate some of the things, some of the mysteries of God. And you know, the Apostle Paul called this a mystery. He called it a mystery in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Look at what we read there. He says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, the Logos, the Word, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. What a mystery. He says, this is such a great mystery. Men can only grasp this and fathom it and even accept it because of the help of the Holy Spirit. To the natural man, to the man without the Spirit, this is just meaningless. I mean, this is just incomprehensible. But to us, whom God has opened our eyes, there comes this understanding of who our Savior is. In Colossians 2.9, Paul said this, For in Him, that's in Christ, in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He doesn't just say all of deity dwells in bodily form. He's going the extra mile to make sure we fully comprehend this. He says all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Do you know when the woman with the issue of blood touched Jesus? Do you know who she was touching? She was touching the one who created her. She was touching the one who gave her life. She was touching the one who put the stars in, in orbit. Isn't that incredible? When we believe on Jesus Christ, that's who we are believing on. Let's look quickly at what verses 6 to 9 say. It talks here in verses 6 to 9 about John. And it's up there. I won't read it all again, but it talks about John. John the Baptist, that's who it's talking about. And it talks about him coming to testify to the light. So now we see John referring to Jesus, not just as the life, but we see him referring to him as the light. The life, he says, is the light of mankind. So not only does Jesus give life to everyone, but he's also the light giver to everyone. He's the one that gives us knowledge and understanding and wisdom, and hope, and everything else that light symbolizes. John says he is the true light, and he enlightens every man by coming into the world. You know, John was sent for one reason. He was sent to bear testimony and give witness to the light, to the logos, to the life. And John the Baptist, this was his message. We see it in verse 15. John testified about him and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me, Jesus was born after John, has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. What a paradox. He came after me, but he existed before me. You see, John knew that Jesus' origin was not in, did not come about when he was born or when he was conceived in Mary's womb. He existed way before that. 
Do you know that the message that John brought to the world, the message of Christ, the testimony of who he is, is the very message that we, as the church, are to bring to the world. What John preached is what we're to preach. We're to tell the world about him. And that's what this whole Christmas season is about. It's not about trees and decorations and presents. Primarily, it's about Jesus. It's about him who came into this world 2,000 years ago. Let's look at verse 10 to 11. It says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Isn't this incredible? That someone, as we've just seen Jesus is, would come to those that he created, would come to his own people, and yet they wouldn't know him, and they wouldn't receive him. They would reject him. And you know that that is still happening today. There are still people who still do not know him. And there are people that still reject him. Just like the Jewish people, by and large, did all those years ago when they crucified him. Do you know to those people who reject him, his coming is of no good to them. It's as good as if he had never even come. It does not benefit them in the least. And you know that the Lord Jesus said that they will die in their sins. One of the most sad things that we could possibly say is to talk about people that will die in their sins. And yet you know that that has happened throughout history and it's still happening today. I've been in the deathbeds of people, old people, talking to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've seen people say, I do not want to hear it. I do not want to, I do not want to know anything about that. I do not believe that. And they've gone to their death, holding firmly onto that rejection of the only one that could save them. The Lord Jesus said this in John 8 verse 24. Unless you believe that I am he, this is the words of Jesus, unless you believe that I am he, unless we believe everything that the Bible tells us about him, we will die in our sins. There is only one way for people to be saved. And that way is seen right here in this passage in verses 12 and 13. This is the way. Listen to what it says. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's those who receive him that receive the right to become children of God. Who receives him? Only those who believe in his name. What does it mean to believe in his name? It means to believe in everything he is. To receive him for who he is. And whenever somebody 
Whenever their eyes are open to see the glory of Christ, the glory of Jesus, who he really is, they will receive him. And when they receive him, along with him, they receive that incredible privilege, that unspeakable blessing to become the children of God. It is those who are born of God that are saved. And when they enter into that place, as, as he says in verse 16, grace upon grace begins to flow from Jesus, the master, the savior, the creator, into their lives. Isn't that wonderful? I stand today as living testimony just to the grace upon grace that has flowed into my life through the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are united with him through faith. There is something that changes on the inside of us that can never be undone. There's something that happens deep within our hearts. There is something that happens within our inner being. Our eyes are opened and we see him like we could never see him before. And there is a change that begins and it continues from that moment on, day by day, right through into eternity. Today, I wonder whether you have received Jesus Christ. I wonder today whether you believe the words that we've been reading. The words that were penned 2,000 years ago by a man that was one of Jesus' closest followers while he was here on earth. I wonder whether... God might open your eyes to see who Jesus truly is. Some say he's a wise teacher. Some say he was a great philosopher. Some say he was this miracle worker. Some say he's just a myth. A figment of weak humanity's imagination. I want you to know that he is none of that. He is the very one that John told us he is. And one day, every single one of us will stand before him. One day, every single one of us will give an account of ourselves to him. And there's going to be two groups of people that stand before him on that day. Those that have rejected him and those that have received him. And my prayer is that every single one of us in this place here today, would stand amongst that group that have received him, that have opened their hearts to him, that have believed on his name and have called on his name and have therefore been forgiven and saved. If that's us, when we stand before him, there will be unspeakable joy that will be full of glory. Oh, I don't want to be a part of the other group. That will hear his words when he says, depart from me because I never knew you. I don't want to be amongst that group that the angels will bind hand and foot and cast into the eternal lake of fire. I want to be amongst the group where the Lord says, come you, blessed of my father. Come and receive the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. And my prayer for every single one of you here today 
is that you would find yourself amongst that company. That is what the church is. We are the company of the redeemed. We are the company of those that have believed on his name and received this, this incredible one, the Logos of God, into our lives as Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful today that you chose to come. That you chose to come and be a part of us. To become one of us. To take on flesh. To appear as a man. To come and serve us. Lord, we stand in absolute awe as we think of you, our creator, coming to die for us coming to serve us and give your life as a ransom for us. And we're so thankful for the fact that you did, for the love, the incredible love that you have had for us, that you would die for us. We stand in this place here today and we worship you. Just like the wise men did all those years ago, just like the angels did at your birth, and just like all of heaven is doing right now, we worship you, the Lamb of God that was slain, the Logos, the life, the eternal life, who was with the Father. We thank you, light of the world. We praise you. Father, I pray for every person here today. I pray for anyone here today, Lord, maybe up to this time has never called upon you never called out to you to forgive to save to have mercy i pray for every single person here today lord that although they may become have come to church today they have never really known you they have never become one of your people they have never taken that step of repentance towards you I pray for them today, Father, that by the word of truth that we've been proclaiming, they would come to that place. By your spirit, Lord, convict every heart that does not or has not known you. Open their eyes that they might see your glory and believe in you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.